Hello, everybody. Hello, my subscribers. Hello, community. Thank you so much for all the support. Uh, it's great. And as I've said before, I love doing this. I just love it. I love when things I write come roaring out to you almost instantly or within a day or two. And there's always the risk, of course, of sending out something bad <laughs> when you send out something just out of the oven, uh, when you send out a first draft or the second draft. But it's also sharing with you the process. And I, I really like that. I'm getting braver and braver as a writer, I think, uh, which is something funny to say, I know, after 30 years of a career that I still feel the word trepidatious popped into my head. I have no idea how that happened. Trepidatious. Wow. I don't even know how to spell that thing. So anyway, I'm less trepidatious. So who's the trepidatious? Uh, that sounds like a, a word that would get across nine or 10 scrabble, double, triple word, uh, squares. Anyway, uh, so thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, today I'm posting another little essay, very short, and I've posted a few of those lately. I've gotten into them after sending out a number of very short fiction stories to you. And now I'm in this decision-making pro process where I think of an idea where some memory comes to me or there's something in the world that I want to address, an idea. And then I have to decide whether it's fiction or nonfiction. Now, the thing I'm posting today, I could have easily turn, turned into a, a fiction story. I could have uh, taken these real people and, and made them unrecognizable, in a sense, from the real people. And of course, you don't know the real people. I'm the writer. I know them. But I could have made them far apart from who they really were and who they are. But I didn't do that. <laughs> I didn't go deep into who they are. I just focused on this one night. That one night was the reason for this essay to exist. And I originally thought of it. I was online and I saw, looking at the news, and I saw there was a trailer for that new Elvis movie. I, I knew there was an Elvis movie coming, but I hadn't realized it was done and it was coming attraction trailers. And Tom Hanks stars as Colonel Tom Parker, the Svengali in the Elvis world. And this guy I've never heard of or seen before plays Elvis. And as I was watching the preview, which looks overdone and elaborate and uh, you know, it's a Baz Luhrmann movie directed, and he directed that Romeo and Juliet movie with Leonardo DiCaprio and Claire Danes, and he did Moulin Rouge, and he also did his version of The Great Gatsby, which he called Gatsby, which pissed me off. Where do you get off changing the title of the greatest American novel? You know, I'm, why didn't you call it Romeo and Jane? <laughs> anyway, uh, I was prepared not to like that movie. I was very prepared to hate it. And yep, I hated it. It seemed to me that that movie, it's director's voice. Now, I'm not denigrating Lerman as a person. I don't know him. But the director's voice, the screenwriter's voice, the movie's voice seemed to glamorize wealth just in the same way that the villains of the novel did. 
so it wasn't critical of the wealth. It glamorized the wealth. And I, I thought it completely missed the point of the novel. So maybe it's a good thing it was called Gatsby because it certainly isn't the great Gatsby. And that got me thinking, though, about the ways in which a movie adaptation doesn't live up to the greatness of a novel. And it got me thinking again about that Elvis flick. And and the guy playing Elvis is about 10% as gorgeous as Elvis was. Now, of course, this actor playing Elvis is more beautiful than 97% of the men wandering around the earth. But that still doesn't measure up to the real Elvis. I mean, Elvis was a supernova of beauty and talent and charisma. You know, only a few people like him have ever existed in human history. And how do you live up to that? And I started thinking about the ways in which we create these people. I mean, they come, they have this talent. They come to us with this talent, this extraordinary, miraculous talents. And then we elevate them. We're so inspired by them that, that you know, it ends up being Hercules and, and, and Athena and, and Helen of Troy that these ordinary humans become that. And of course, those demigods of the past were also based on ordinary humans who possessed ordinary talent, extraordinary talent, excuse me. So anyway, all of this got me thinking about one night on my reservation back in the 70s when that sort of thing happened. Uh, so here it is. And this essay is called Gods of Thunder. Back in 1977 in at Washington on the Spokane Indian Reservation, four Indian boys put on kiss makeup and pleather and lip sync to God of Thunder and Beth for the school talent show. The four boys were named Steve, Steve, Stevie, and Mike. I remember they had multiple strobe lights. That part I'm sure about. But I also remember fireworks and smoke machines. But that can't be true. There's no way our reservation school could have afforded that. I remember a spotlight for Mike when he sat on a stool and lip-synced Beth, that lonely and lovely ballad about life on the road. There's no way our reservation school had a spotlight. It was probably just three or four of the band's roadies shining flashlights at Mike. But I was one of the roadies and don't remember doing that. I do know that crowd went crazy for the Indian boys. Crazy. Many of the Indian girls rushed the stage. Everybody, including the adults, was ecstatic. Back then, Kiss was dangerous. Gene Simmons, Paul Stanley, Ace Frehley, and Peter Chris were outlandish paragons. They were feared and loved in equal measure. Many Christians claimed that Kiss was an acronym for Kings in Satan's Service. There were Christian Indians on the reservation who also believed that. Kiss donated their blood to make the red paint in a comic book about themselves. So much ego, so much debauchery, so many decibels. They were worshipped. It was no different on our res. The audience mobbed Stevie, Steve, Steve, and Mike. It was almost scary. 
A crowd of Indian girls chased the kiss impersonators, boys they'd known their whole life, into an upstairs bathroom. With the other roadies, I stood guard at the door. But I wanted to be one of those Indian boys in kiss makeup. I wanted and wanted. My envy was as outsized as the reaction to the lip syncers. The Indian girls wanted autographs. They pushed me into the closed door. They pleaded with me. Somebody produced a notebook and the girls tore out blank pages and gave them to me. They wanted, 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 wanted. I took those tattered paper sheets into the bathroom as if I were carrying holy parchment. And the boys signed with their names, Stevie, Steve, Steve, and Mike. I took those autographs back outside to the girls. They screamed in delight, then looked at the handwriting on the pages and ferociously protested. No, not their real names. We want them to sign the names of the band. Or was it the other way around? Did the girls want the boys to sign their real names instead of the man's names? Did they want Stevie, Steve, Steve, and Mike instead of Gene, Paul, Ace, and Peter? Did four res boys become rock stars by impersonating rock stars? Did four Indian boys somehow become icons while wearing costumes they'd probably purchased from the Sears in Spokane, Washington? In any case, I saw the real love in those Indian girls' faces. I saw their mad adoration for rock stars in particular and rock stars in general. For the first time, I saw extraordinary passion. I saw beyond fandom into fanaticism. Some of the girls would end up dating some of those boys in later years. A few married a few. But those romances didn't happen because of that kiss performance. Or maybe they did. Maybe that's the way they began. I don't remember how that talent show night ended. I lived across the street from the school, so I would have been back in my bedroom not long afterward. I doubt there were any res kid shindigs later that night. Many of my schoolmates would become wild partygoers, but nobody was like that in sixth grade. Too many of my schoolmates would eventually die in car wrecks. Alcoholic car wrecks. And it pains me to recall that one of Kiss's best songs, Detroit Rock City, is the first person roar of a kid who dies in a car crash. That didn't happen to Steve, Steve, Stevie, and Mike. I always laugh when the Puritans claim that rock music is destructive. Of course it is. That's why we love it. And that's why rock, true rock drenched in lust and rage, isn't popular anymore. These days, even the liberals and leftists are afraid of sweaty electric guitars. Or maybe that's just me. 
being overtly nostalgic for the days when a timid Indian boy could pretend to be a stuntman. I only know that we were back in school on Monday morning and Stevie, Steve, Steve, and Mike were back to being just popular reservation boys. They were widely admired for their KISS performance, but it soon became just a warm memory. I haven't seen or spoken to Mike, Steve, or Stevie for years, but after a long estrangement, Steve and I are friendly again. We often text each other. I'll eventually send him this essay, and he'll certainly have memories that contradict mine. Who is more reliable? The actor or the witness? I don't know. Our combined stories with all the contradictions intact only tell part of the story anyway. We're all the unreliable narrators of our lives. So let's celebrate the unreliable. Once upon a time, on the Spokane Indian Reservation, four Indian boys briefly became superstars. I saw mythology being created in real time. I was there. And I hope by writing this essay that I'm bringing that mythology back to life. I want all of you, my witnesses, to retell the tale of the four Indian boys who, for one night, became deities.